Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Now you may dismiss your servant, O Lord, in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepare in, in the sight of all the peoples, a light, revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people, Israel. These remarkable words come from Luke chapter 2. They start at verse 29. These are the words of the elder Simeon. As he beholds in his hands his very human hands, God himself in the flesh. That's right. Today, February 2nd, we celebrate in the Byzantine liturgical calendar in particular, the presentation of Christ in the temple, sometimes also referred to as the encounter with Simeon. And what happens is Jesus is brought according to the law. Once again, he's showing his humility. He submits himself to his own law, although he was God, did not need to submit to his own laws. But he does so nonetheless, just as he did in his birth, his circumcision, and his baptism. In fact, this last submitting to his own law represents really the end of what has been this season of condescension, of self-emptying, of incarnation, which began with his nativity. So Jesus Christ is placed in the arms of the just elder Simeon in the temple. And Simeon, when he sees this, he knows that there is nothing else for him to behold no other reason for him to be on earth. He's waited all this time, and he is beholding God in his own hands in the form of Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh. And just as Simeon's life was changed, he could never go back again, never be the same person. So it is whenever any of us beholds God, the light of truth, we can never go back. And sometimes we have to stand up and fight for that truth. Once again, part of the great world of the Eastern Catholic Churches finds itself at the epicenter of an occasion in which it must once again stand up and fight for what is right. And the reason they have to is because they have seen, like Simeon, they have beheld God in the flesh. They have beheld truth. They have beheld the suffering Christ. What I'm referring to is the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Ukraine. They recently come out of communist oppression, where they certainly witnessed and were very much participants of Christ's suffering on the cross. They were sacrificial victims, but their sacrifice 
was a redemptive one. And the church has come out from under communism. It is a thriving church. But once again, it is being challenged. Now, you don't hear too much about this on the secular news. You're getting it exclusively here on Light of the East. And we're going to be monitoring the situation. What I'm talking about is what's called the Euromaidan protests happening in Ukraine. The Ukrainian faithful, especially young people, most of them Byzantine Catholics, Eastern Catholic Ukrainians, have been protesting the injustice of their government. And they believe that their government is selling their country down the river. And they've been protesting peacefully, but with strength and with prayer. Now, recently, what's happened is that the government has tried to crack down on these peaceful prayerful protests, and it has threatened to close the Ukrainian Catholic University. This is a place that is close to our hearts here at Light of the East because we have presented this Ukrainian university on our program a number of times. We are promoters and supporters of the Ukrainian Catholic University, one of the finest places you can go to, to learn and be immersed in and transformed and formed into Eastern Christian spirituality. But that institution is under threat of the government. George Weigel, a well-known Catholic author, recently wrote an article about this. It's dated January 14, 2014, on the National Review online website. The title of the article is The Exhaust Fumes of Stalinism. The Ukrainian Government Threatens the Greek Catholic Church. This article is so well done, as usual, from George Weigel, that I'm going to read it to you. It says this, the religious dimension of the Euromaidan protests in Ukraine these past two months has gone largely unremarked. Yet in Kiev and elsewhere, the day's activities at these oases of civil society are punctuated with prayers offered by clergymen of a variety of Christian communities, Orthodox, Greek, Catholic, Protestant. That fact in itself says something about the nascent civic community that is being born in Ukraine today. Ecumenical fellow feeling and cooperation have not been a prominent feature of Ukrainian religious life in the past. Yet now, with the future of the nation and no small part of the future of Europe being contested amidst snowstorms, tent cities, flying universities, and police brutality, Ukrainian Christians have discovered a common cause, the moral and cultural renewal of Ukraine, which the brave men and women of the various Euromaidens understand is essential to free politics and free economics in the future. But if most Western observers have been inattentive to the religious dimension of the Euromaidan phenomenon, attention has been paid by the thuggish government of Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. Thus, the latest episode in the unfolding Euromaidan struggle for Ukraine's future involves a governmental move eerily reminiscent of the height of Stalinism in the old USSR. The Ukrainian Catholic Church is the largest of the Eastern Catholic churches, churches that are Byzantine in ritual, theology, and church polity, but in full communion with the Bishop of Rome. The Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church has a complicated history. In its present form, it was born of the 1596 Union of Brest, by which the Ruthenian Metropolitanate of Kiev Halic in the old Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth returned to full communion with Rome, ending a half-millennium of alignment with orthodoxy, a schism that was formalized in the 1054 breach between Rome and Constantinople. Since then, the Greek Catholics of Ukraine have been no strangers to controversy and political contention, often held suspect by Romanizers, especially among the Polish clergy, from whom the only Catholicism is Latin Rite Catholicism. Greek Catholics were also regarded with distaste to put it gently, by many Orthodox believers, for whom the statement, 
I am not in full communion with the Bishop of Rome, is an essential component of Orthodox ecclesial identity and indeed of Orthodoxy. Again, for the sake of our listeners, I'm reading an article by George Weigel. I'll continue. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church became one of the cultural safe deposit boxes of an emerging Ukrainian national consciousness, to which the extraordinarily accomplished head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church from 1901 to 1944, Metropolitan Andrei Sheptitsky, made singular cultural contributions. Ukrainian national self-awareness, though, was a grave threat to the consolidation of Soviet power. One response to that threat in the most grotesque effort to crush the national spirit of Ukraine was the Holodomor of 1932-33, what Robert Conquest aptly styled the Ukrainian terror famine, a Moscow-induced genocide in which as many as 7.5 million people were deliberately starved to death. At the World War II, Stalin decided to deal with the threat he perceived in the Greek Catholic Church of Ukraine by liquidating it. At an infamous Sobor, means church council, held in Lviv in western Ukraine in 1946 and managed by the secret police of the NKVD, pseudo-representatives of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, fully aware that they were under threat of immediate execution, voted, quote-unquote, to abrogate the Union of Brest and return to the Orthodox fold. Bishops, priests, nuns, and lay Ukrainian Greek Catholic leaders who refused to accept this farce were sent to the gulag camps where many died as martyrs, later to be beatified by John Paul II. The remainder who refused to accept their forced reabsorption into orthodoxy went underground. Thus, from 1946 to 1990, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, a community without churches or other visible religious institutions, was the largest illegal and clandestine religious body in the world. Its millions of faithful worshipping in forests where underground seminaries or other forms of religious education were also conducted. Rising from beneath the rubble of the crumbling Soviet state in the last years of the Gorbachev period, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church has built a vibrant life in independent Ukraine. Its former head, Colonel Lubomir Hussar, was for years the most respected public figure in the country and helped support the creation of the Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv, the only Catholic institution of higher learning in the former Soviet space and a major center of national cultural reconstruction. And when we return, I'm going to continue with this marvelous letter, a statement by George Weigel about the situation being endured, once again, by an Eastern Catholic Church. I'm Father Thomas Lillian on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. 
This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we behold the light of revelation to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ, brought to Simeon, the older, in the temple, the last observance of the unfolding of the incarnation which began with Christ's birth. And we're referring to the beholding and the standing up for the preservation of truth on the part, once again, of an Eastern Catholic Church. This time again, it's the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Ukraine. We're continuing with an article written by George Weigel. It was no surprise that students and graduates of the university were deeply involved in the Orange Revolution of 2004 to 2005 and have been just as involved in the Euromaidan protest. So have Ukrainian Greek Catholic clergy who have offered prayers at the epicenter of Euromaidan activity in Kiev, working with Orthodox and Protestant confreres to insist on peaceful protest and nonviolent resistance to brutality. In this, the Greek Catholics of Ukraine and their ecumenical colleagues have taken to heart Adam Michnik's famous statement about the nonviolent commitment of solidarity and its relationship to the free Poland that solidarity members hope to achieve. Quote, those who begin by storming Bastilles often end up building their own. Unquote. But the Yanukovych government, seeking levers with which to get a grip on the Euromaidan phenomenon, has recently returned to Stalin's old playbook. Thus, Cardinal Husar's successor as head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, Major Archbishop Sviatoslav Sevchuk, who became Metropolitan of Kiev Halic in 2011 at the age of 41, received a letter in early January from the Ukrainian Ministry of Culture in which the government threatened to take measures to revoke the church's legal status if the Ukrainian Greek Catholic clergy continued to lead prayers outside of the church buildings and cemeteries where Ukraine's strange law or religious associations decrees that public worship be conducted. The letter was couched in spectacularly Stalinist terms, warning at one point that of special concern is the fact that the Ukrainian Greek Catholic leadership purportedly supports systemic efforts by some priests to ignore the law, which has a negative impact on the overall legal culture and legal awareness of the citizens who are Ukrainian Greek Catholic believers. This from a government whose security forces seem to think the overall legal culture, quote-unquote, is enhanced by beating nonviolent protesters senseless. On January 13th, Metropolitan Sevchuk held a press conference in Kiev in which he politely but firmly rejected the government's claims. The Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church's very existence, the Archbishop stated, was being threatened, and this 
after it was hoped that gone are the days when churches were ruined and the clergy who provided pastoral care to the faithful were arrested or even murdered. The Ukrainian Green Catholic Church and its clergy, the archbishop continued, were not participant in political processes, but the church could not stand aside when his faithful requested spiritual support. Those Greek Catholics, together with other Ukrainian citizens, had peacefully expressed their vision of Ukraine's European choice on the basis of Christian and common human values. But the people of Ukraine want to pray publicly as part of their expression of that vision. No government approval is needed. Moreover, when there is a lack of dialogue between the government and people, public prayer is essential. Prayer for peace in our country. Prayer for an end to violence and to attempts to trample the dignity and constitutional rights of Ukrainian citizens. On January 14th, President Yanukovych, perhaps calculating that he was losing his round despite Western inattention to the Ministry of Culture's gambit and Metropolitan Shevchuk's strong response, was quoted by the Presidential Press Service as saying, the people should have the right to pray when they wish, and proposing that the law on religious associations be changed. Yanukovych's formulation was not altogether reassuring, suggesting, as it did, that the right to pray was something conceded by the state, rather than being an essential part of a fundamental right of religious freedom that any just state is bound to acknowledge and protect in law. Thus, while the immediate pressures caused by the ministry and culture's letter to Metropolitan Sevchuk may ease the situation, will continue to bear close monitoring. This entire episode, however, is a powerful reminder of the deeper level of the struggle that is underway in Ukraine. The Euromaidan protests have emphasized the imperative of rebuilding the moral and cultural life of Ukrainian society so that elementary decencies are observed in public life as a matter of habit, not as concessions from the state. The crude attempt by the Ukrainian Ministry of Culture to threaten the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church in a way that inevitably evoked memories of the church's liquidation in 1946 was a sharp reminder of the fundamental problem the Eurobaeans face in Ukraine, the exhaust fumes of Stalinism and their corrosive effects on state policy, civic culture, and politics. Again, this remarkable article was written by George Weigel. He's Distinguished Senior Fellow of Washington's Ethics and Public Policy Center, where he holds the William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies. Just to fill out the story a bit, what happened starting in November of 2013, the Ukrainian, especially the youth, and many of them Byzantine Catholic, Eastern Catholic youth, began to protest the government, as you heard from George Weigel's article, began to protest it prayerfully, but with strength and peacefully, because the government, they believed, was selling out their country and disconnecting their country with Europe, and basically favoring Russia, who, when you look at the politics there, is exerting a disproportionate influence upon Ukraine. And there were other abuses as well, that these young people were protesting. And so the government started to crack down, and at the epicenter of the fears and paranoia of the government, proud to say, an Eastern Catholic University. They think if they can shut that down, they can shut down the heart that beats out this sense of justice and morality in these young people. But I wonder, does that government understand who they're messing with? Do they not know the history that is just so recent in their own country? They try to destroy the church? and religious fervor, and only made it stronger, especially among young people. Speaking of young people, a letter was sent to the government of Ukraine by the Sheptitsky Institute, a name you should recognize on this program. This is their statement. 
The Metropolitan Andrei Sheptitsky Institute of Eastern Christian Studies at St. Paul University in Ottawa, Canada, expresses his profound concern over the recent attempts of Ukrainian government officials to intimidate the leadership and members of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church in Ukraine. As Patriarch Sevtislav Sevchuk, primate of the Church, has noted, the recent letter from the Ukrainian Ministry of the Interior censuring the legitimate religious activities of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church members on the Maiden in Kiev is the first time since independence in 1991 that the Ukrainian government has threatened to terminate the activities of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church's religious organizations. The ministry's threat to take legal action against the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church simply for engaging in prayer is entirely unacceptable and a violation of basic democratic rights. It is redolent of the dark days of Stalinism in the USSR when the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church was persecuted by the Soviet government. While representatives of the Ukrainian government attempted last week to allay the concerns of the church with conciliatory statements, the recent escalation of violence in Kiev requires all those concerned about justice and freedom in Ukraine to remain vigilant. We pray that a peaceful solution to the present crisis will be found, that the government will allow all religious believers, indeed all the people of Ukraine, to exercise their legitimate rights to assembly and free expression. Certainly, assemblies of the faithful for the purpose of beseeching the Prince of Peace during this time of turmoil should be encouraged, not penalized. Our statement of concern is being forwarded to His Excellency Dr. Andrew Bennett, Ambassador of the Canadian Office of Religious Freedom. Dr. Bennett is very familiar with this situation in Ukraine. It is our hope that he will make representations before the government of Canada and the Embassy of Ukraine in Ottawa. Signed, the professor, staff, and students of the Metropolitan Andrew Sheptitsky Institute of Eastern Christian Studies, St. Paul University, Ottawa, Canada. This letter is dated January 20th, 2014. As I mentioned, we here at Light of the East will be monitoring the situation and we'll be updating you on it. In the meantime, we ask you once again for your prayers for our brothers and sisters brothers and sisters in the eastern lung of the church, and specifically in Ukraine. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.
Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>